Okay, welcome back to the United Pubcast, the podcast of the official Man United Supporters Club here in New South Wales. We've got Josh with us for a little bit of content during your international break because obviously there is no football to talk about. And we were going to go a little bit live later tonight, but this is a pre-record, but we just want to get on air mainly. I just wanted to have a beer. And speaking of Man United and the football, which we're going to go into, did have a bit of... It didn't actually come to fruition, but he did talk about a boxing career, but that that's maybe comes up later in the podcast. But on the theme of boxing... Main reason right now, just have a bit and just talk about obviously Man United fans. That's a little bit relative. Um, Tyson Fury, absolute iconic fight against Deontay Wilder. Um, just your thoughts on that? Unreal, honestly. Still sort of in awe watching watching Fury. Probably get it will go. We said it off air. It'll go down as probably one of the, the greatest fights. We'll be looking back at this in probably five, ten years time. I think what I was amazing. I, I streamed it and I couldn't believe I had no issues. First time I've ever streamed a fight, whether it be UFC, boxing. Didn't buffer once, no issues, and I think that's a that's a good omen. Hopefully, going into this podcast now. No, yeah, fingers crossed, no connection issues. But yeah, it was an unbelievable fight, and I urge everyone. Everyone does love a sports story, which I've said, but I urge everyone to go and look into Tyson's Fury's story. Not only his life story and how he's come back, but just look at the, this fight, the eleven rounds that he got. What round four he got dropped twice to come back and perform the way he did, and end up knocking the guy out was. Unbelievable. And yeah, as a little bit from a Man United point of view, he is a Man United fan, obviously originally from Manchester. I think he lives in America now, but unbelievable. So I urge everyone to go and maybe watch the highlights of that. As I said, it'll go down as a real iconic fight. But we are here to talk about Rio Ferdinand. Obviously, you can see by the thumbnail and a bit of a debate. Sometimes we do this throughout an international break. We sort of obviously know football to talk about. So we'll look back at a career. Um, and just discuss it, sort of the ups, downs, etc. We've also told it we'll put a bit of a debate aspect into it. I don't know Josh's thoughts, but um, it'll be very interesting and get your um, thoughts in the comments below. But in regards to Israel Ferdinand, our greatest ever defender, now it's up to you how you want to sort of describe that. Do you take in honours? Do you take an ability, longevity? That's all up for debate. But I think it's when you do sort of break it down, he definitely is in that discussion and, in my opinion, very well might lead that race. So that is something hopefully we'll get a clearer answer to. But um, if you did like Rio Ferdinand's time at United, please like the video. And if you are new, please subscribe. But we will start sort of at the start, obviously started before Manchester United. He was obviously at West Ham United. And he's reading up, I remember at West Ham, he was the youngest ever player or the youngest defender, sorry, Josh, to play for England. Now, obviously, that I assume that has been broken since. I know Mika Richards sort of beat that at some stages. Or, but at the time, he was the youngest player, youngest defender to represent England, which goes to show back then when obviously England, look, England are having a bit of a golden period now. But back then, obviously, had a very good team as well. Always in and around sort of World Cup, sort of quarterfinals, semifinals, looking at that type of thing. It's a hell of an achievement. It's a remarkable achievement. I think it's probably reflective not just of his own abilities, but also of West Ham. You look at their youth system and you look at how many England players started out at West Ham. You know, Frank Lampard, Michael Carrick even was there. You know, he first, his mm. first major club really was West Ham. I know he's, he's from the North originally. Um, so they're a club that's renowned for, for producing players. And he has to be, to be the youngest England player um, or youngest England defender at his age was, was unreal. Unreal achievement. It was reflective of the career that he'd have in the long term. I remember once, I'd have to go back and obviously I don't have the old VHS tapes, but I remember once he played against United for West Ham and he played in midfield, almost like a defensive midfield role, So, which we'll get into his ability as a footballer. He's obviously a fantastic footballer, but he obviously was one of those sort of textbook defenders who starts up as a striker, drops back to midfield, drops back to the defence. But um, yeah, it goes to show if he's playing at that age for West Ham United against Manchester United in the midfield, goes to show sort of the ability he did have. 
but he obviously went on to lead United and we're talking about Newcastle United in the last one and obviously a completely different context. You can almost draw similarity in terms of the way Leeds went about their business. They went and spent big on a few players. Around that time, obviously, Leeds are in around that Champions League spots and a couple of title races here or there. And obviously broke the bank for Rio Ferdinand, who goes on to, I think at the time, became the world's most expensive defender. I think it was a British transfer record as well, or for especially for a defender. Um, just your thoughts on sort of memories of him at Leeds? Because obviously we look back at Leeds now and how could anyone play for Leeds and Man United? Not many people do it. But obviously Rio Ferdinand was the high-profile one. I think the memories of him at Leeds is that he joined them at, at probably quite a prolific time in terms of their spending. Look, we know what the damage it caused him in the long term. They they probably have only just recovered just about now, really. You think in the Premier League for the first time he'd gone there how many years. But it was a time where Leeds were sort of doing the unexpected. I mean, in his last season for Leeds, I think it was 2002 or 2001-2002 season, Leeds got to the semi-finals. He played a major part in that, um, obviously scoring in the quarterfinals. I forget the team. Um, I think it might be one of the Spanish teams. It might be like Deportivo or Valencia. Um, mm. I don't know, sorry, they played Valencia in the semis. It was, I think it was Deportivo in the quarters. So he joined them at a time where they had quite, you know, prolific players that were sort of not using Leeds as a stepping stone, but they were, you know, they had a really good sort of structure. I think David O'Leary was the manager. You had the likes of Hasselbank, Paducah, you know, Alan Smith would eventually come up through the ranks of, of Leeds United. So, yeah, it was typical of quite quite a good team. Obviously, you know, you mm. judge a team by the success with trophies and ultimately they won't win, win anything in those years, but they were in and around, um, you know, the top, the top four, top five teams. Well, it's one of the ones I'm, look, I'm over the moon of how it played out in terms of what happened to Leeds and obviously relegated and went 16 years um, without a return. But you do look, they were so close. If it did click and they did get it right, they might, might have gone on to be a dominant team in terms of the demographic of players they had, the age, um, obviously the backing they had. So they were so close to clicking and, Let's say they win the Champions League that year. That definitely changes things. But the moment you don't qualify for the Champions League, especially back then, absolutely a disaster. And that's why we we sit here and criticise clubs like Man United and Arsenal in terms of prioritising top four. We say as fans, we don't want top four. We don't care. It is so important because you see what leads. They spend so much money. Man United spend so much money on Pogba, De Gea, Ronaldo, etc. And you don't get that Champions League money. Okay, Man United might be able to survive for a year or two. But a lot of clubs can't, and Leeds couldn't survive three months without Champions League football. You know, just you hit the nail on the head there, Tom. Hit the nail on the head, and you look at you have to look to Newcastle now. That's going to be their yeah. expectations in what four or five years, and who's at the at the expense of a top four team at the moment? Yeah. Who's going to be dropping out of that? Is it going to be United? Is it going to be Chelsea? Yeah. Well, teams could have good seasons now. You, you look at that, and you could very uh, well make a case that seven teams could sort of definitely go get into these top four now. You could have a good season and be one of the three teams that don't get in there just because four good teams have a better season than you. You might have a, you might hit 70, 80 points. Someone might hit 82, 83, 84 points. Exactly. And I think he, I think with Rio, when he was at Leeds, he was at a time where, obviously, in the Premier League, if you take it from about 2005 to probably 2013, you had the same core top four teams in that Champions League. United, Liverpool, um, Arsenal and Chelsea. In and around that, you'd get Newcastle dipping in there, you know, every now and then. They were competitive. Leeds, um, obviously, were competitive in that 2001 season of, you know, obtaining a position in the Champions League and doing so well in it. Yeah, no, very much. Look, we'll try and steer away from a top four debate for later in the season. Well, hopefully not, but look, very likely we'll be having that debate in a few months' time. But back on to Rio Ferdinand and obviously the main part of the podcast. Let's forget West Ham. Let's forget Leeds. 
he obviously ended up did arrive at Manchester United and one of the notes I got down, um, we'll get into the white suit and sort of the story that that played and the iconic image type thing. But he did arrive at United for, I think it was around £30 million, maybe a little bit less, but sort of add-ons and bonuses probably took it over £30 million, which again was a sort of British transfer record. And it sort of summed up Sir Alex Ferguson and because he was quite a young signing. We, we, I think we sort of forget how long he was at United. He obviously had a testimonial at United type thing. But it goes to show what Sir Alex, it was almost his plan A. Okay, who's the best young English player? And go and get them no matter what the cost, whether that be Wayne Rooney or Rio Ferdinand or opposite ends of the pitch. But um, do you think Sir Alex Ferguson went into that signing, obviously with the, the huge investment, but also with the football sort of mind and football goal of he's going to be our best defender for the next 10 years? 100%. 100%. You only have to look at his signings before that. You know, he bought Lauren Blanc at a very old age. We're not saying old age, it's a bit disrespectful, but he was an ageing defender. Wasn't the answer. I know he was a very, he was a big name in terms of defenders, but it's not the defender, you know, that's going to be playing for Man United for the next 10 years. I think it was also a means to justify what had happened with Stam a year earlier. Obviously, Stam, Stam left the club and Fergie still to this day says it's probably one of his biggest regrets. But I think looking back at it now, maybe it wasn't so much. Ferdinand sort of provided that stability that maybe, yeah, it did win a Premier League title in the first year, but it probably took, you know, a good few years to mould, you know, a partnership with someone consistent, which is where Vince will go into the question. Um, but in terms of the tenure he has, you mentioned the testimonial. Not many players would have a tenure of 10 years and have the success he's had at the club. So I think he justified that in terms of your earlier question. Did he go for someone that, yes, it's the best English defender at the time? Absolutely. Yeah, no, definitely. And you mentioned some of the names there in regards to Nemanja Vidic and Yap Stam, and we'll get into that debate in regards to what weighs up the greatest ever defender. Because if you look at the ability, you can very well make a case for Vidic and Stam in terms of their defensive capabilities. But what Rio did in terms of success, um, living up to the hype, um, the longevity, etc. But we talk about, and I always made this point in regards to stories and images that stick with you that play a part. Uh, you, you think they don't, but they do play a part in your mind. And it's sort of light, it's a lighthearted joke now, and Rio Fernandez has spoken about a bit in terms of that white suit. Do, do you think that does play a story in sort of not the hype around the signing, but um, all eyes were, were on Rio Ferdinand. Usually, these big money signings are strikers and big money or midfielders, and we're looking at these players to go win games. Not often a, a defender really takes the spotlight, but Rio Ferdinand sort of he did take the spotlight. All eyes were on him, which we'll get into sort of controversies that he had later on in his career. Not often you get those with a defender or a wide player or a striker or your attacking midfielder, they're the ones who get all the plaudits or criticism if they're not performing. But Rio Ferdinand was the one, as soon as he walked in the door at Old Trafford, he was the main man almost. And it's hard to say, but with so many superstars in that team, obviously David Beckham was still in the team at that time. All eyes were on Rio Ferdinand, which is quite unusual when you look back and think about it. I think not just that as well. The whole thing with the suit, the bleach blonde hair. I mean, obviously the biggest factor is he'd signed from Leeds which not many, you know, players would get away with, especially, especially now. Obviously, mm. the Dan James has gone, has gone the other way, but, you know, you can't think of many signings. Obviously, the most famous one with Canton Harren and, um, and also following later, you, you had Alan Smith. It, it's a rare signing for, for teams that despise each other, especially with the fans and the history they had. But, yeah, the, the impact he made, he was going into a, a team that, once they had a lot of egos, but he had a team of, as he said, big personalities with Beckham still in the team. Obviously, you have Roy Keane there, but it'd be a good, you know, source to, to ground him. And I bet he had a few words about his suit. 
Well, they say that in terms of when you walk into a dressing room, and Rio Fernandez told the story, and I forget who he said passed it. He said it might have actually been Solskjaer or might have been Roy Keane or someone, but he, they were just playing sort of Sheva or sort of Rondo, sort of that piggy in the middle game in a warm-up, and it was Rio Ferdinand's first training session, and they pinged a ball into Rio Ferdinand just at point-blank range, and obviously if someone smashes the ball at you from two metres away, you're not going to be able to control it. And Rio Ferdinand sort of miscontrols it, and he's out, so he has to go in the circle. And I think it might have been Solskjaer was the one who had the comment, just sort of looked at him and said, how much? Like how much were you? How much did we sign you for? Which goes to show, okay, that's a little bit of banter in the change room, but that is something that players do have to deal with. Um, not just okay inside the dressing room, but obviously the the media sort of the way they were reporting that. But sort of started United, obviously walks into a good team, so it was obviously going to be successful. But his first real controversy, which sort of he had many controversies, but this is the big one when you do look back in terms of that drugs test where he was suspended for eight months. Just look back, if you can remember your thoughts at the time, but also thinking back now, if it happened in 2021, could you imagine that story happening now where, I don't know, Harry Maguire or Virgil van Dijk or Ronaldo or Pogba gets banned for missing a drug, and we'll get into the, what happened in regards to the drugs test, but that type of story and a player missing eight months of the season through suspension, just think about it now, but also what your thoughts were back at the day, back in the time. I remember I remember being really disappointed. Not Maybe not so much with Rio, because... He's, he's made a mistake, he held his hands up. It's something that he shouldn't have been that, you know, blase to, to sort of miss. It's a, it's a fundamental part of football, especially now you have, you have what you have drugs tested every game. You have drugs tested at the Champions League final. You imagine your team winning the Champions League final, you've got to take a drugs test. Can't yeah. celebrate. It's, it's a fundamental part of football. But I think I get annoyed at it a lot more now than I did back then. And I'll tell you why. And it, I think it's more with some of the issues that players get fined with now when they get suspensions. You look at the ra- racist bans with Suarez and, yeah. you know, the John Terry. And you think, how can you justify banning someone that's been convicted of, of racial abuse by, by an independent body or even by, you know, a court of law and then ban someone for negligence, but in a sense, passed the test, you know, a couple of hours later when they, when they got to do it. Yeah, they missed it at the, at the exact time, but there still would have been drugs in the system if, if he had been taking anything. It's, it's quite disappointing and we'll probably go on to more about that campaign when he did get suspended. It was a 2003-2004 season and I think he, I think the ban was going to take place sort of after the Christmas period, so after, you know, a heavily congested fixture list mm-hmm. as, as, we, as we know what happened over the Christmas uh, time. And United's record that season was unreal. I think we'd played, let's say, 20 games up till, up till January. And honestly, I think, we'd, I think we'd only lost on three occasions. I think we've won 16 games. Mm. You look at that going into Christmas, that's a championship winning performance. And we, we know what happened that season. Arsenal won the league. And I think we probably only mustered about five, six wins after that. Really, really affected us. And one of the first games I went to after that was uh, Wolves away in, um, in the Molyneux Stadium. They'd just come up Kenny Miller. I think Kenny, Kenny Miller scored the goal. It was 1-0. I know I remember like, looking at my dad. And obviously, I was only about 12, 13 that game. I remember thinking... I remember thinking that game, I think we're, like, we're going to lose it here. Literally, just the, the whole squad just looked a little bit dishevelled, just the confidence he brought to the team. And it was clear to see the quality he had in the player. Results don't lie. But I think with United, it was more of it. They didn't really have a backup. Yeah, I think it was, I think it was that game. Was, I think Kenny Miller went past Wes Brown, I think, for the 1-0 goal. And it was, yeah, it's a, a bad performance and a bad sort of mistake. But you, you, you make a really good point, especially in terms of the work Rio Ferdinand has done in recent seasons in regard to racism in terms of the fines or lack of fines and lack of suspensions of UEFA and the Premier League handout, et cetera, especially when you – because I think it was a £50,000 fine as well and the eight months. 
sort of thing. And you just look, okay, Luis Suarez got eight games for doing a Patrice Evra type thing. But it's another debate, but that's something we can debate in the future. But I think there's also, in terms of, we don't want to make excuses or anything, but you do look at Man United in terms of the way we, as fans, we think the media treats us and the way we think the authorities do treat us. There was the same player in the same, I think I think United used it as an example in court as well. There was a Manchester, Manchester City player, was it Christian Ngui, Ngui, I forget his name, was fined £2,000 and was no suspension type thing. The exact same thing, missing a drugs test. But Rio Ferdinand did the same the thing. It's the status of the club, as you said, Tom. Just the status. Man United. If it, if it was think, Man City now, yeah. different story. But you can think, and I fully agree, and you can understand that. But when you do actually just look at the facts of that, it's criminal that that can be allowed to happen. The same act, the same sort of misleaded test. Okay, you missed the test, but you offered to take it the next day or as soon as you got back to the training ground and one gets a £2,000 fine and nothing. And Rio Ferdinand, world record transfer signing, gets eight months and £50,000, which is look, another debate for another day. But Rio Ferdinand obviously sort of dealt with that. The club stuck by him. Um, Sir Alex Ferguson stuck by him, which would have been very easy for... Um, to sort of push him to the side and say, no, you're not Man United caliber. They stuck with him. They saw something there. And um, obviously, we sort of reaped the rewards of that. But we'll get into, actually, it's probably not long after that, when he came back and obviously he came back, performed sort of thing. Then his next big controversy, and he obviously did have positives at Man United. It's not just a controversial time. But he obviously had a big um, contractual dispute where um, he wasn't signing the new contract. I think it's come out sort of later on, as he's spoken about now, he's always, he always wanted to stay. And he's always likely going to sign the contract, but you know how these stories sort of snowball in the media type thing. But not often crowd, not often the old Trapper crowd sort of turn on players, but they started to turn on Rio Ferdinand a little bit for not signing the deal. And eventually it got done, but just um, it doesn't often happen where fans really turn on a player. Obviously, we've got the Pogba issue now, but uh, it, it's just different. I don't know why, but it's just different. But with Rio Ferdinand, was a star player who did want to stay, but just the contract negotiations did pay out in public. But um, yeah, the fans did turn on him a little. Yeah, I think it's. I think you go back to the drug test really with that. I think a lot of fans were, obviously, with the perception a lot of the older fans were thinking, you know what, you, the club has stuck by you with this. They're publicly, you know, back to you. It should be as simple as just signing a contract. United is still very much competitive. Yeah, we have not. We hadn't won the league probably in in two years, um, but they weren't. You know, it wasn't all doom and gloom. We weren't. You know, that far off it really. I know, obviously, Chelsea had you know, more superior players. But there was probably no reason to go anywhere in England unless he was thinking of going back to London in Chelsea, which I'm not sure that was the case. I think it, I think it was more, there was more interest from abroad personally. Um, but yeah, I think it was more just disappointment over what the club had done for him in the back. And you, you know, you can never really be sure what happened. Things get misconstrued in the press. It probably was agreed early on. He's just waiting for finer details in the contract to you know, be be finalised. You know, you never really know the full story, do you? Can I think on one of his latest interviews, well I, think, I think on one of his latest interviews or podcasts, I've heard it was on his platform or someone else's where he was interviewed, he was talking about like, one day or just before the announcement that he did sign, um, fans arrived at his house and did one of those, that obviously used to happen with Frank Lampard, Stephen Gerrard, etc. Ed Woodward a couple of years ago, but fans showed up at Rio Ferdinand's house sort of saying, what's happening? Sign the effing deal, sign the effing deal. Rio Ferdinand had apparently had signed it a few hours earlier. And just uh, He was inside saying, I'm not going to go out there because it's a crazy mob. But do they know I've actually signed the deal? It just hasn't been made public. Like, I want to go out and tell them to shut up, but look, I'm just going to have to deal with it. So it is amazing how we sort of do sort of read stories and interpret them. But without the facts, it's very hard to sort of um, 
sort of comprehend everything that is happening. But we will move on to sort of better things because it wasn't just a controversial time. You know, we're having a debate if he's the best ever defender at Manchester United. So it obviously was a very good spell at United. And we'll get into it. Just maybe some of your favourite moments, Rio Ferdinand, because usually we talk about favourite moments as a striker or a midfielder. You think about the goals, etc. And Rio's obviously scored a few sort of well-known famous goals. But not often you have favourite moments from a defender. Um, okay, do you remember that tackle? Not many people remember that. Rio Ferdinand did have some standout moments. So just so the ones that spring to my head, obviously the late winner um, at the Stratford end against Liverpool. He obviously scored a very, another good goal at the Stratford end against Liverpool. wasn't the winner. Actually, I think it was in a 2-0 win, but left foot into the top corner. Um, he obviously had the famous goal in Ferguson's last game at Old Trafford against Swansea. Again, at the Stratford end, he had a bit of a, bit of a good record in front of the Stratford end. But um, just your thoughts on something that stands out in your mind with Rio Ferdinand as a memory? I think just the Liverpool goals you alluded to. I think the second one more so because it was actually at that game uh, where we won 2-0. It was just a really, I think one of them finishes where it was a striker's finish. He took it with his right foot and then finished it with his left. He controlled it with his right, finished it with his left into the top corner. You know, any striker would probably be proud of that finish. But I think as well, that I like the, the fact that he scored, uh, you know, Fergie's last goal. Well, sorry, yeah. Fergie's last goal at Old Trafford, should I say. I think it's quite, like, poignant, really. He's very, clearly had a very good relationship with Sir Alex overall and, just in terms of how that game panned out, it was one of them scrappy games where it was going to be one of them late finishes and the strikers weren't doing it. No Hernandez stuff that game. It might as well be a defender. <laughs> well, there's a lot of those games in that period. We do look at that now. The 12-13 was our last title winning season. So we look back 10 years later and think, oh, what good football or fantastic that season. We weren't. There was a lot of moments like that where we were sort of scraping through with late goals and Van Persie, Chicharito. I was going to say, I think it's the season where the defenders scored the most amount of goals collectively for United. Well, Patrice Evans scored one of the three or four. Johnny Evans was, was piling them in. I think Ferdinand got one or two. Vidic, you know, Ra- Raphael scored as well. Yeah, Raphael, yeah. Patrice Evra. Um, I'm sure Vidic should have popped up with a goal here or there. And um, yeah, I think we do look back at that season and think, oh, well, fantastic. And yes, we're very good. We're the best team in the league. But um, there were many moments like that where we sort of had to be out sort of, I especially remember around the Christmas period. Um, speaking of Newcastle, then there was a Boxing Day game against Newcastle, which was over there for, and uh, a lot of really close games. None more so than that um, late winner against Swansea. But um, just one thing as well, in terms of we talked about earlier, in terms of the white suit and this iconic image, and we're talking about favourite moments. Something which I think gets overlooked far too much, and not rightly so, or wrongly so, but just like a talking point. We've only won the European Cup or Champions League, however you want to call it, three times. Not often that happens at Manchester United. One of the times it happened, Rio Ferdinand was the captain. We don't really think about that. And even Roy Keane didn't lift the title. Paul, Sch- Paul, um, Paul Schmeichel? Peter Schmeichel was obviously captain in 99. So Roy Keane doesn't even have that sort of moment. But Rio Ferdinand is one of the very select few. To Obviously, he did share it with Ryan Giggs. Ryan Giggs came off the bench um, before penalty sort of thing, and he was on the stage as well. But not often many people get to do that. So he's in... Very, very elite company there. Unreal. Um, and it, to be honest, it wasn't the best defensive performance by United that game, but just in terms of their resilience, because once Chelsea scored, you know, the equaliser, they were very much in control and it came from a few defensive errors. The way he, he regrouped the team to see it through and go to extra time and penalties, he, he did a fantastic job. Um, but that's one of the good things about defenders in general. You, you know, we're doing this podcast on Rio Ferdinand. You don't really... If you choose to do a player profile on anyone, it's very rare that you choose to do a defender. You pick an attacker mm-hmm. because you want to talk about the goals. You pick a midfielder because you want to talk about like, the longevity, the goals, the assists. Very rarely the defender gets talked about. But I think what you, what you can say about Rio is collectively in those big games, they were very, very controlled. And that's why he's one of the best defenders of, of all time, in my opinion, for United. 
the way he carried United through games. Look at the unbeaten run we had in away 09. We didn't yeah. concede a goal for what 10, 10 11 games, Premier League games. Yeah. With Rio at we, the back you, you speak about Moscow. You speak about Moscow and sort of not being a great defensive performance. And I agree in terms of not so much defensive performance, but we're under the cosh a lot. We had to do a lot of defending type things. So we're under pressure and obviously under pressure in that nervous environment maybe feels a lot worse than what it was. But his, his partner, Nemanja um, Vidic, was man of the match for me. I thought it was his best performance in the United shirt. And obviously the occasion sort of sort of, sort of of weighs in on that. But Nemanja Vidic was the man of the match in that final. I thought he was fantastic against Didier Drogba. Ultimately played a big part in Drogba getting sent off, which maybe ultimately sort of helped us win the final. But we'll get into that partnership because, like now, we're talking about McFred, Scott McTominay and Fred. They're a partnership. So much of Rio Ferdinand's success and the story behind his sort of time at United was his partnership with Nemanja Vidic. And do you put it down to, obviously, two very good players who performed well, but do you put it down to almost being, not lazy, but a textbook centre-back partnership, one big, strong, physical guy who goes attacks the ball and the other player who's just can read the game like a book and just two different types of defenders who complemented each other perfectly or was there something different to it? I think it's exactly that. They just complemented it. Both had different strengths, but it you know, was ferocious, wanting to win every ball in the air. Rio just had a clear understanding of the game. And you should highlight that over those, well, if you highlight that from like 2007 to 2000, like even 2010, 11, just how defensively superior we were and just how defensively confident we were at the back. It's just down to them, really. I know they were caught out a few times. I mean, look, most notably, look at that Liverpool game at Old Trafford, which was ridiculous. Um, it's just one of them, one of them partnerships that I don't think you'll really ever see again in the Premier League. I know we're saying at the moment now, like Varane's going to be the perfect, you know, partnership for Harry Maguire, but we're, we're debating whether Varane and Lindelof are a better partnership now. <laughs> I think not, not only the partnership. Well, you, you completely right, but not only the partnership there, where we always think of two defenders, but you also look at Van der Sar. Van der Sar was part of that trio as well. And I, and I think they all complemented each other perfectly. All leaders, all big physical people, all had huge experience in the game. Maybe Nemanja Vidic not so much, but it always sort of played like an experienced pro type thing. And I think that three, and obviously at the time, you had Patrice Evra, who was arguably the best left back in the world at the time. You could argue that with Ashley Cole. And whether it be Gary Neville or Wes Brown on the right, you always had a solid right back. So that, that back yeah. four, we do talk about, and rightly so, we talk about Skulls, Giggs, Tevez, Ronaldo, Berbatov, these players, 100%. But if you do look at the consistency of that back four, both in how they played, but also just the personnel, especially Van der Sar, Vidic, Evra, Ferdinand on that left-hand side, that was how, how long was that partnership? That must have been 2005 to 2012. Yeah. So, so 2012, and I think what the upsetting thing is, you sort of knew when the time was up. Like I know they grinded out an extra two seasons, but I look at that Charity Shield game against Man City yeah. when they both started that game. And I was like, they've been, I think they've really been found out here. And teams, you know, teams know how to play us. And it, it showed that season. I mean, we were defensively quite fragile that season in the 2011-12 season. And mm. you, you just look at the difference it made when he bought, I think Johnny, was it Johnny Evans and Phil Jones came on at half-time. And Tom Cleverley, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. We were, so, we were so strong in that first half and then 2-0 down. Then Ferguson said, stuff it. We'll just go 100% weak. We'll just rest everyone in the second half. We end up winning at 3-2. And um, yeah, that was look not not often you celebrate a community shield victory, but that one yeah, was yeah. a that was a very good um, community shield win. But is there anything else I'm trying to think? Um, just his amazing amazing performances. I think he just had that... some big 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 performances for me with like the Champions League ones. Um, I sent you like a piece I'm writing for like the United magazine 
for this for the sport of subs about games that go under the radar. And you look at some of the Champions League games where we really were under the clash. I think we played Porto in the Champions League quarterfinals 2008-2009. It might have been the first leg when Ronaldo scored the winner Ronaldo in the second goal. leg. 2-2, yeah. you know, 2-2 away from home. 2-2, sorry, at Old Trafford. That's a terrible result, Going especially going into a second leg. You've really got, you know, obviously we know what happens, but I think they started that game against Porto and it just shows how, you know, how sometimes experience prevails and for that game, United were under the clash for quite a bit of that game. It took a moment of brilliance to win it. I think, you know, if you look a little bit later in the season, I think there was a game against Marseille or one of the French teams where I think we drew the game and, it, you know, it, it, I think we drew the game at Old Trafford and it took a 1-0 victory, you know, at, at their place to win it. I can't remember the exact year. I think it might have been the year, year before that. When we went from yeah, there. I think he very much did it because we talked about his controversy at the start and not a slow start. I think he's always performed well. Obviously had maybe a little bit of spell when he first came in. Um, I remember he sort of played a little bit in midfield with John O'Shea. So there was a little bit of, why is he, why are we buying this much on a Fenner and playing him in midfield? But he finally got his run at sort of centre-back and a little bit of consistency. And that tie did turn after the suspension, after the contract controversy. And obviously the, the success of the team does help, but he then sort of very much worked his way into sort of being a fan favourite. And I remember you just mentioned then in terms of that 12-13 season. Um, but the Liverpool game, just one of my stories at Rio Fed, and, and we've discussed this before in terms of his restaurant. I was over there for, I think we were both at the same game. It was 12-13, Ferguson's last game against Liverpool. Uh, 1-2-1. Yeah. So it would have been Van Persie and a combination of Evra and Vidic scored the winner. Yeah. It goes down as Vidic's goal, but everyone thought Evra had scored at the time, which was fantastic in terms of the Suarez and Evra sort of relationship. But the replays at the end of the game showed that it was Vidic. But I went to with my um, wife at the time, or wife now, girlfriend at the time, Jeanette, we um, went to Rosso's restaurant after. We thought, okay, Sunday night will be nice and quiet. We thought, we'll, we'll go in there. And we walked up to the door, no booking sort of thing. And the people at the door said, have you got a book? And said, no, no. They said, oh, no, that's okay. Just as long as you're gone by 8.30, that's fine. So we said, yeah, yeah that's fine. That's two hours away. No issues. So I went down and Jeanette said, oh, why would we have to be out by 8.30 sort of thing? And I just made a joke just passing. Oh, it's Rio Ferdinand's restaurant. The team's probably coming here or something at 8.30. They book the place out. I was just just talking. Absolutely nothing. And I was facing this way. So I'm facing the camera. Jeanette's facing me. And everyone is looking over my shoulder. I'm thinking, what's happening there? I didn't turn around. And Jeanette said, they're all looking at someone. So I turned around. I said, oh, it's probably Rio Ferdinand or someone. Again, just joking. Turn around. Rio Ferdinand sitting two metres behind me type thing. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. Like This is obviously just come from Sydney over there to Manchester a couple of feet away from Rio Ferdinand, but he's eating and he looked like with a few friends sort of thing. And people are going up to him throughout the meal and taking photos. And he was signing autographs and taking photos. But I always felt bad. I said, I can't go up to him while he's eating and sitting there. Like He's doing everything for them, but you could tell he wasn't sort of pleased with it. So I said, I want to, but I just can't do it, can't do it. It came to around 8.30 where we had to leave and he was still there. And I thought, here's my one chance to meet a Man United player. I'm going to have to do it. And I said, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. So I made the decision that we're just going to walk outside. As soon as we got up, Rio Ferdinand started to walk outside and it was just time, just just luckily, just time to affection where he met at the door and he's happy to take a photo, which I'm sure he always is. You can see the relationship he does have with fans. But I think that is something, again, he must have signed 50 or 100 autographs that day. A second, which he wouldn't even remember, for me, sticks with me for an absolute lifetime. And I think that relationship he definitely has now. You always see him at Old Trafford outside um, when he's going into the stand, always taking photos, autographs with fans. I think he is someone... Regardless of his performance, he has that type of character where fans warm to, even then, but especially now in a social media age, that he is that fan favourite. And um, just your sort of memories of sort of that aspect of his career? Yeah, I think 
you hit the nail on the head there. His relationship with the fans is, is unreal. Um, especially now, his everlasting relationship with fans. He's still got that connection with Manchester United. And at that time, you know, a lot of players, a lot of players still do, they have egos. They sort of take pictures of fans because, you know, they're, they're told to take pictures with fans. It's not because they want to. Look at the work he used to do with MUTV. I think he did like, always used to be the one to put his hand up for the behind the scenes for the tour, take his like yeah. phone around and, and video things just so the fans can, I know they pay for MUTV subscriptions, but sort of have that little bit extra connection with the fans, which I think, which I think was probably lost for a long time at United. Never really, really had that connection with the fans in terms of, you know, wanting to talk to them. It felt a little bit buzzing them, especially when the Glazers first came. Obviously, there's still issues now, but it felt that there was a real disconnect between the club and the fans because obviously they wanted to sort of hide away from any questions around that 2005 time. But you sort of helped to bridge on. You can still see he's still doing the work with it now. He's got his own blog. Um, well, do you think he's almost it? taken advantage? Not, not in a bad way. I don't want to say this in a bad way that he's financially gaining from it. He's a person who needs to work. Fair play and completely. I, I love what he does. But do you think he has taken advantage of that in terms of the characteristics he does have and that personality he does have? We do. I'll just talk about his punditry. Not just his punditry, but that's part, part, a part of it when he's on BT doing Champions League sort of thing. But also his YouTube stuff, you always see him on social media. You look at the stuff when Ronaldo was signing. He was the main man on social media type thing. Do you think he has been able to take advantage of that and use it to his in a good way? I don't want to say he's sort of taken advantage in a bad way, but that is something he's been able to do very well post-career where other players haven't sort of been able to do so? I think he's capitalising on what's a common trend. You look at podcasts and how big they are now at the moment. Like not many people were doing podcasts. I know they were about five or six years ago, but you know when I used to put Spotify on or other available music providers, you, like the first thing you do is just put your music on. But now, like I, I, I can't remember the last time I listened to music. I listen to podcasts yeah. all the time, and I think he's providing an avenue where. Obviously, he's going to get some financial gain from it, but he's he's, he's talking about experiences and, and situations that fans really want to, to know about. But he, mean, he has he, a he he has a knack, he has an ability. Like a lot of people can do that, but he has a way of making it engaging. One for the maybe the football expert, he has that experience, so he has that insight. He's able to portray, but he doesn't just come across and say, "Oh, you don't know what you're talking about." As a professional, this is what happened, and you just simply wouldn't understand. He has a way of giving that detailed analysis. But also, I don't want to say dumb it down, but put it in layman's terms where both experts can connect with it and people who maybe don't have a full understanding can connect with what he's saying. He has that. It's a, it's a, it's a yeah. fantastic skill he has. And I think, I think, he, I think that's, a, that's a huge element of it. But I think another thing he does as well is he's very, level, he's very level-headed in a way that sometimes he'll say some controversial things which don't appear controversial because he's timed it perfectly. Look at, let's look at how he's left United. He, he talks, you know... We just think he left United for QPR, no new contract signed. Five or six years later, he's doing a podcast with one of his co-presenters on, on BT Sports, and he talks about how he's just told, thank you for your time. That's it. Yeah. I had Woodward. He could have, like, you know, talked about that at the time. And he's obviously he's timed it at a time where, let's just say, there was not a lot of disconnect with Woodward at United. There's always been disconnect with Woodward. He timed it situation where United weren't doing well on the pitch. Um, there's a lot of, you know, scapegoat and blame game. Is it Ollie? You know, is it the Glazers? Is it is it Woodward's impact on transfers, which I think we can clearly see is, is a major impact with the changes that's happened in this transfer window. Yeah, it's amazing. It's very, oh, it's very meticulous. 
Yeah, we should have talked about that in terms of the way he did leave the club in terms of he has spoken out about it. And there was other players in the same category. You do look at that back four we talk about. Patrice Ever had a similar situation to Manu Vidic. They obviously all left in that first David Moyes season, which um, maybe looking back, it would have been good if they left with Fergie in terms of just having that good memories. And I don't think anyone looks back at them on that 13, 14 season. I can't remember anything that happened that season besides no. David Moyes and Ryan Giggs against Norwich type thing. But it, it would have been nice looking back that if they went out on a high and didn't all sort of leave in that vein. But look, that's football and he has spoken about it. And honestly, and again, not many players come out and speak honestly about those sort of contract situations and sort of behind closed doors sort of discussions, especially with personalities and sort of figures like Ed Woodward. Exactly. Yeah, they're very, they're very controlled back then. But I think that's the advantage of, you know, different avenues of, of communication and media now. It's given, you know, more of a freedom to speech because there's no contract or anything. There's no affiliation with outside parties. It's allowed more of the truth. But I think P- Peter Crouch has done a fantastic job with that. I think that sort of yeah. paved the way. I think his was one of the first podcasts where he sort of jokingly talks about life at football and it sort of forged the sort of an acceptance that, yeah, you can talk about things that are sort of behind the closed doors. Well, we'll get into it. Just to wrap up the podcast, which, look, there's no answer to it. Everyone's entitled to your opinion. And if you obviously do want to share your opinion, put it in the comments below or tag us on Twitter or Facebook and just join in the discussion there. The question, is he Man United's greatest ever defender? And the way I look at it, look, you can – we've talked about lists and, look, there's a Ballon d'Or list at the moment type thing in terms of who gets on there, what sort of constitutes a selection type thing. When we're looking at everything in terms of this – is he United's greatest ever defender? Look, obviously, I can't sort of comment on people in the 60s, 70s, 80s, etc. But if you do look at the success, the longevity, his ability, like yes, Nemanja Vidic and Yap Stan were fantastic defenders in terms of going and defending. But defending's half the game, especially to the Brio Ferdinand's time. The, the modern game was definitely changing during that time. So he had to have both elements. People think, oh, he was just a ball-playing defender. No, Rio Ferdinand could defend. He was a big physical presence. I just spoke about the time when I met him and I was thinking when I was having the photo with him I was looking at him going oh my god if I'm playing against him if if he's marking me I'm thinking what if I get the ball what do I do like he'd absolutely eat me for dinner so look he could defend and one you could obviously play so do you have an answer or an inclination in terms of how you're thinking if you would put him as United's greatest ever defender yeah um I'm not going to complicate everything with like different theories and justifications but not many you know players will win everything that there is to win in, you know, in English and European football and world football, obviously with the club world championship in, in 10 years, or take, sometimes it can take a club 30, 20, 30 years. I mean, United are still waiting for something, you know, in a major Champions League and, and a Premier League since 2013. And Rio Ferdinand did that in 10 years, 10, 12 years with, with some trophies multiple times, for example, the Premier League is what, how many Premier Leagues did he win? Just looking here, five Premier League. Obviously, didn't get the FA Cup, but he won two League Cups, five Premier Leagues. But obviously, the most important—well, not most important—but he obviously did get his hands on the Champions League title, which I think, if you do the most five, did he win the FA Cup? Millwall would have been in the squad. Oh no, he was banned, wasn't he? Was he banned? He was banned. Oh yeah, he would have been at at United. Yeah, he would have played. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I wonder why. I'm sure the club probably sort of gave a medal to him. But yeah, maybe on Wikipedia he doesn't have it listed down, but you're right in terms of that. But but if you do look at that, the five Premier League titles and a Champions League win, and obviously Captain United on the night, for me, I, I do look at maybe defensively, if you do look at what you prefer from a defender, whether it be upstairs or Nemanja Vidic or Steve Bruce, who's obviously in the news now with Newcastle, if you want a defender like that, 
yes, maybe a slightly edge in terms of Rio Fer- over Rio Ferdinand, but as a complete package, the ability, the defensive awareness and the success and the leadership and dealing with the pressure of a move from Leeds to Manchester United, the price tag, um, the struggles he had to overcome. Um, if you look at that drugs test, the controversy, I look at it now and look, it's up for debate. There's no clear answer, but for me, he would clearly go down, in my opinion, as United's greatest ever defender. And if that is the case, you just have to look back and think, wow, <laughs> well, we've sort of I mean, lived through greatness there. Has, has that record in 2009 been broken? I, I remember the record you're talking about. And the, the one I remember about that record was one of the games Richard Ecclesley played at right back. <laughs> I remember yeah. there was a bit of an injury crisis. But yeah, I remember Van der Sar, that clean sheet record. Um, I don't know, maybe one of Jose Mourinho's Chelsea teams or... Possibly. I think it would have taken a lot to break. And to yeah. sort of have that record and win the league, you know, back to, I think it was their third time they would have won the league. You know, yeah. not many teams, has any team won it three times in a row. It just sums up the quality and the consistency United had. And he, he epitomised that for me. He's, he's definitely one of the greatest defenders. And it'd be hard not to put Vidic alongside him. Yeah, well, it's yeah, very harsh harsh on Vidic. And you almost you do put them in that combination. Obviously, a different category to McTominay and Fred. But they are two players you obviously put together. But I do I do look at that and talk about greatest teams and this moves away from Rio Ferdinand. But you talk about greatest teams and whether is it the Invincibles for Arsenal's, is it Mourinho's Chelsea, is it Pep Guardiola's City, is it Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool? I, I do look at it and think what United were able to do twice, both in 1998 onwards and 2006 onwards, were able to win the Premier League three times in a row and win a Champions League in there. So if you want to get into that category as the best team, you have to win the title three times in a row and have a European Cup, which just simply no one has come close to. So, And Rio Ferdinand was a big part of that second time. What We do look back at 99 and think that was our greatest ever. But if you do look at numbers and stats and everything, that 2006 to 2009 era is United's most successful ever period in history. 68, yeah. 98, 99, that 2008 period was our most successful ever period. So we're blessed to have lived through that. But if you do then sort of strip that back to a personal sort of thing in terms of Rio Ferdinand, he was a key part of that. And obviously everyone was a key part of that, but there's no hiding from the influence Rio Ferdinand had. You just have to sit back and just thank the lucky stars that we witnessed, as we're saying, the greatest ever Man United defender. And I hate saying that on a bad note, but it might be a long time until we witness it again, so... <laughs> yeah, I, I like Harry Maguire, but I can't put Harry Maguire in the Rio Ferdinand discussion. But... Um, Hopefully you did enjoy that bit of a discussion, something a little bit different to sort of break the mould of no football. Um, United are back on Saturday against Leicester. The clocks have changed in Sydney, so it's back to a bit of a tricky kickoff time, but I'm sure we'll be up. But Josh is obviously part of the Man United Supporters Club. You can see the banner ticking below. If you are in Sydney, we're going to obviously organise a big meetup. I think it's 6th of November. It's Saturday night, decent kickoff, 11.30 kickoff against Manchester City. So... If you are double vaccinated, obviously that will be a requirement, I think, from the pub. But if you are double vaccinated and live in Sydney, make sure you're signed up to the supporters club um, because that'll obviously be a big night. It's been months and months since we've been out to watch the match at the pub. And what bigger game than um, Man United, Man City, Ronaldo against Guardiola? It'll have everything. So um, hopefully you did enjoy the video. Make sure you do leave it a like. It would be very much appreciated. And if you are new, please click, um, click subscribe. But Josh, always a pleasure chatting you on a Sunday, Arvo. Yeah, you too, mate. Especially after a very good day today. Not always, mate. And chat to you very soon. And Larry and I will be back in maybe a day or two. But thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you for Josh. And we'll chat to you very soon.